0: Optimal minimal At this altitude I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can
1: I answer your personal
0: question? Now it is in a perfect time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal
2: endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is typically my job to deconstruct world-class performers of all different types, whether they come from the worlds of chess, military, business, entertainment, sports, or otherwise. This time around, I'm doing an experiment, and I want you to support a friend of mine. And there's not much involved. You just have to listen. Cal Fussman has been on this podcast, at Cal Fussman, F-U-S-S. M-A-N, Fussman, Cal Fussman on Twitter. He is a New York Times bestselling author and was the writer at large for Esquire magazine, where he was best known for being a primary writer of the What I Learned feature. What does this mean? He has conducted interviews with icons who've shaped the last 50 to 100 years of world history. Mikhail Gorbachev, Jimmy Carter, Ted Kennedy, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, the list goes on and on and on. He did his first long-form interview as the interviewee on this podcast. I interviewed him twice. He's an incredible storyteller, and I've been trying to get Cal to do his own podcast since we first did that, probably a year and a half, two years ago. So this is what we did for this episode. I said, Cal, let me take the pressure off. Rather than overthinking the podcast, why don't you interview a friend of yours who I would love to have on the podcast anyway, Larry King, All right. So this episode is Cal Fussman interviewing his friend, Larry King. And if you like it, I would love for you to tell Cal, you can just hit him on Twitter at Cal Fussman, Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, or on his website, calfussman.com. But hit him on Twitter and let him know what you think. Encourage him to do a podcast. My first podcast was a hell of a lot rougher than this one that he did with Larry. So Larry King, if you don't know who he is, is on Twitter at King's Things, or the website you can check out is aura.tv forward slash Larry King now. He has been dubbed, quote, the most remarkable talk show host on TV ever, end quote, by TV Guide and Master of the Mic by Time Magazine. He has done more than 50,000. That's right. I think I've done a lot with 260, 270 podcast interviews. He's done 50,000 interviews throughout his half century in broadcasting, including uh I'll try that in English, including exclusive sit-downs with every U.S. president since Gerald Ford. Larry King Live debuted on CNN in 1985 and ran for 25 years. He's been described as the Muhammad Ali of the broadcast interview. And Larry has been inducted into five of the nation's leading broadcasting halls of fame and is a recipient of the Alan H. Newhart Award for Excellence in Journalism and Emmy the George Foster Peabody Award for Excellence in Broadcasting, 10 Cable Ace Awards. It goes on and on. He is also the author of several books, including his autobio, My Remarkable Journey. And I mentioned the link just a bit earlier, but he is currently the host of Larry King Now, which is produced on Aura TV. You can find that at aura.tv forward slash Larry King Now. So without further ado, here is the conversation between Cal Fussman and Larry King and if you think Cal should do his own podcast then tell him to not overthink it and to get started and you can hit him up on twitter at Cal Fussman and you can also check out his website at CalFussman.com so here you go enjoy Cal Fussman with Larry King
0: all right here we go This is Cal Fussman on his first podcast. The
1: Fussman Factor.
0: Can you believe that, Larry? Uh,
1: You should name this The Fussman Factor. (laughs) I'll bet no one has a podcast with a factor because Bill O'Reilly is out of work.
0: (laughs) As you can tell, my first guest is Is. another than Larry King. In person. (laughs) 60 years
1: 60 years on the air. Could you believe it, Cal
0: Fussman? That I can believe. 25 on CNN now or at .TV? In a sixty year now already. Interviewed more than what, 60,000 people? That's
1: the best estimate in 60, almost 61 years. It could be right because i worked radio and did five hours of radio a night, many, many times having multiple guests and and that was five nights a week 5 hours of television every week uh, yeah a lot radio television reach track interviews i did show afternoon shows remotes 60 thousands about right i've had a a full career of this
0: so this is my first time behind the mic thank you tim ferris for giving me the opportunity to guest host the podcast oh this when- is not your podcast well, it's my podcast, but Tim is being kind enough to set it off into the atmosphere. So this is kind of a Ferris wheel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> la- la- oh, I love that. Oh, man.
1: He la- wheeled it over to Fussman.
0: Okay, I get it. <laughs> okay, so this is my first. Let's immediately talk about your first time behind the mic. Well, it's a little
1: backstory. story. I, uh, I was in love with radio as a kid. Even I remember five, six years old, I would listen to the radio, imitate radio announcers. There would be shows like A Tale Well Calculated to Keep You in Suspense. And I would, at five years old, run into the bathroom and A Tale Well Calculated, The Shadow Nose. And I was fascinated. When I was a teen, my father died when I was nine and a half and that threw a roadblock into a lot of things. I later couldn't go to college. I had to help support my mother. And... But when I was a teenager, I'd go into Manhattan. We called it the city. We lived in Brooklyn and called it Manhattan. We so said, go into the city. I would visit radio shows that had studio audiences. and I would watch announcers, you know, read off scripts and drop the paper down, and look at microphones. And I said, boy, I want to do that. I really want to do that. I had a bunch of odd jobs after high school. One of which was for the Associated Merchandising Corporation, whose offices were at fourteen forty Broadway on the third floor. On the twentieth floor was W O R Radio. Later, when I had a nationally syndicated show, W O R was my New York affiliate. But I would take the elevator up to the twentieth floor, and there were elevator operators then. You know, if they take. and I would say to the elevator operator lobby please pretending <laughs> i was an announcer i i just i pretend i fantasize this announce i worked in i worked for united apostle service i worked for hearn's department store and then i uh so you knew this was
0: your destiny
1: yeah well i knew it was my destiny i didn't know where i'd start i'm 22 years old my mother's now working uh had to help support her my brother's in college and uh I'm walking down the street, and a friend, I forgot who it was even, introduced me to a guy named James Sermis, who was director of announcers at CBS. And I said to him, I would love to be a radio announcer. What advice do you give me? And he said, well, are you single? I said, yeah. He said, well, try Miami. It's a big market, a lot of stations, no union. And they might have people, older people on the way out and younger people on the way up, and it might be a shot. So my uncle, my my mother's sister had passed away and my uncle who owned a tuxedo store in New York had retired down to Miami Beach. He had a department and he said I could stay with him because I had no money. So I took a train down to Miami. I think I had 11, $12 in my pocket. And I went to stay with him. I arrived at the train station. First thing I saw was a water fountain that said colored and white, two water fountains. I drank out of the colored fountain. I'd never seen a thing like that growing up in New York. Couldn't believe it. I get on a bus to go over to Miami Beach. I'm sitting in the back. The bus driver pulls over and asks me to please move up to the front. The back is for Negroes and the front is for whites. First day in Miami. Whoa. So I said, my father's Negro. I prefer to sit in the back. I mean, it was just annoyed me so much. Anyway, I went over, and I went around the radio stations, and I got they didn't they wouldn't listen to me. You know, I was twenty two years old. So no you're just
0: knocking on doors.
1: Yeah, no experience. You have any jobs open? I went WIOD was one of the first stations I went to where I later worked for nineteen years. So I went to this small station on Miami Beach, WAHR. Went in very small station general manager was Marshall Simmons a nice guy and he said I'll give you a voice test and he put me into a little studio, a microphone like this and uh, he gave me a news a news analysis to read and that's the first time I ever and I, I read it and he said well you have a nice voice and we have a lot of change over here, you know we're very small we don't pay a lot if you want to hang around and watch the announcers work and watch how to get the news. If an opening happens, we'll give you a shot. So I hung around. For maybe three, four weeks, I stayed there day and night. I watched the announcers. I watched them rip and read. I would go out with Sonny Hirsch when he did sports interviews. You know, I just was taking it all in. And one day, a Friday, Marshall Simmons, the general manager, called me and he says, Well, Tom Bear's leaving. Tom Bear was in an unusual situation. He made $55 a week, and his alimony was $60 a week. (laughs) He figured out once that he could not make it on this. He used to live off coconuts, coconuts from trees. So he says, you start Monday morning. You're on from 9 to 12 in the morning, and in the afternoon, you'll do news and sports. So you got your
0: whole weekend to prepare for this. I
1: went crazy. The whole weekend I had, I went back home. Came back to the radio station Saturday morning. Started picking out the music I'm going to play. Hung around there all Saturday. Sunday, practice, went into the little studio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. As Mr. (laughs) Record, Les Elgard swinging down the lane. I'm so excited. Now, it's Monday morning, May 1st, 1957. I get there like 6 o'clock. I go on at 9. My uncle hugs me and gives me the best. It was a warm, muggy sunny Miami Beach morning, eight forty first street right opposite the police station. I would visit there last year, by the way. It's another station now. But anyway I uh, I walk in as a secretary he comes in at about eight and say hello to the all night guy and stack up my records I'm ready to play and then Marshall Simmons says come into my office like quarter nine. And I go, and he said, Well, this is your first day on the air, the best of luck to you. And I said, Thank you. He said, what name are you gonna use? <laughs> I said, What are you talking about? He says, Well, Larry Zyger, that was my name. Ain't gonna work. Now it would work. And it would now any name would go. Ain't go Humper any name would go. <laughs> so he said, Zyger won't work, it's a little too ethnic and people won't know how to spell it and uh we got to change your name. I said, I'm going on the air in 12 minutes. He said, yeah, well. And he had the Miami Herald open. I would later write a column for them. All these things are like miracles. And there was an ad for King's Wholesale Liquors on Washington Avenue.
0: So he, he looks down at that ad. He looked,
1: he looked at it and said, how about Larry King? I said, okay, <laughs> it sounds good. I later, A year later, we legally changed it. And it's legally changed in AFTRA. So if you're a broadcaster today on an AFTRA station, even if your name is Larry King, you can't use Larry King. Because it's a branded name. Yeah, it's true. And then it becomes, when you become famous, no one could ever use it. Like, no one could be Arthur Godfrey or Jackie Gleason, even if your name is Jackie Gleason. If you get a television show, you can't be Jackie Gleason on an AFTRA station. Anyway, that... So, now I got a new name. Now I go in. I'm about to go on the air. Nine o'clock. I start the record. I down the lane. I lower the record. Put on a microphone. And nothing comes out.
0: Nothing, nothing comes out of your mouth.
1: Nothing. I bring the record back up. Lower it down. Bring it back up. Lower it down. And I am panicked. I am sweating. I'm looking at the clock, and I literally said to myself, I can't do it. I can do a lot of things, but I'm, I'm nervous, and I, maybe I can't. My whole career is done. And Marshall Simmons, God rest him, kicked open the door to the control room and said, this is a communications business. Damn it. Communicate. He closed the door. I turned down the record, put the mic on, and said, good morning. My name is Larry King, and that's the first time I've ever said that. (laughs) Uh, Because I've just been given this name, and and let me tell you, this is my first day ever on the air. And all my life, I dreamed of this. When I was five years old, I would imitate announcers. I saw the story I just told you. I told the radio audience that day. My father died, I did this. And I'm nervous. I was very nervous here. So please bear with me. I played the record and was never nervous again. And later in life, that would tell it to Arthur Godfrey, Jackie Gleason, others, and they said, well, you learn the secret of this business, which is there's no secret, be yourself. So what I did that day, not, I wasn't brilliant, I wasn't conceiving this, carried through me for 60 years, which is, be yourself. If you're, don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid to sound stupid.
0: What did that teach you about honesty?
1: Not just honesty. It's, yeah, it teaches you a lot about being open and honest on the air. But, of course, what you do when you do that is you bring the audience into your circumstance. And when you do that, if they like you, you win them. If they don't like you, they're not going to like you anyway. You can't make them like you. I asked Edward Bennett Williams, the great criminal defense lawyer, once, what's the number one role of a criminal defense lawyer? And he said, put one juror in my client's shoes.
0: How would that play out?
1: If you could put one client in your shine shoes, he'll never vote guilty. Because he would say, I would have done that. All right? So what, what I did that day was put the audience in my shoes. And I recommend that. I've done a book, How to Talk to Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere. I do a course. If you're going to be your first public speech, you're scared. Get up and tell them you're scared. They would understand because they'd be scared too. Bring them into your situation. I was on the air when we had the earthquake here. I was on television, CNN, cameras bouncing around. I'm broadcasting the earthquake. We're having an earthquake. Desks are flying. I'm over there. I hope we're still on, if we're still on. You know what I mean? I, I, I was in a station alone during a hurricane, and I broadcast the hurricane. I For example, we were out of money. It was a cigarette machine and a candy machine. It was just me and the engineer in the station alone. No one could get there. We, I broke the machine on the air.
0: They heard you breaking into yeah. the machine? Yeah,
1: because I told them my situation. I got no <laughs> cigarettes and I got no food. I said, you want to hear what a hurricane sounds like? We were the only station in the city, WRD, with a, a generator, an emergency generator. We were the only thing on the air. You had to tune to us. Oh. So I would go outside, lean the microphone out the window and said, here's what it sounds like. And I broadcast <laughs> the hu- I broadcast the hurricane. I just I just ate it up.
0: This yeah. is the power of storytelling, what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and well, the power is I was always good at that. When I was a kid, they called me Zeke, uh, like a short for Larry Zeiger. I was Zeke the Creek the mouthpiece. Because I would, as Herbie said, I would go to a two-hour baseball game and come back and tell the guys about it and take two hours. In other words, I... I was descriptive. I always had the ability. As I thought I would be a baseball announcer. I thought that was my goal, to be a sports announcer. Because I knew I could
0: describe things well in front of me. Do you think that that's a learned skill, or is that something that you just had inside of you? I have no idea.
1: I think you could teach certain things. You can't teach a good voice. You could probably help. I never had a voice lesson I had laryngitis maybe once in the 60 years. I've worked, I have worked sick. and I had a heart attack, I was only left the air 10 days. I think one of the reasons for my longevity is the love of what I do. In other words, I may have an unhappy day at home. Things may not go right. I can't control. But when that light goes on, I control my environment. And in this, how many people get to control their environment? So when I hosted a radio show every night or a television show every day or wrote a column, I controlled the question I would
0: ask. I controlled my environment. You know, it's interesting you say that because when I was thinking of doing the podcast, one of the things that scared me was as a writer all those years, I had control of the content. Mm-hmm. And I can do an interview, but afterwards, I could piece it together to create the story in the best way possible. When you're doing an interview that's being, that's certainly that's live, you you don't have that. Correct. And so I was gonna have to give that up in order to do this. Gotta trust yourself.
1: If you trust yourself, if you say to yourself, I have never said to myself, Can I ask this? I asked it. You know, I, I, never, I never doubted myself. I don't have it in social circumstances, I don't have it in life, I don't have command of situations, but I trusted myself because I loved it. If you, if, if you loved it, if you love communicating, a lot of writers aren't good broadcasters.
0: Yeah, a lot of them are terrible broadcasts.
1: Yeah, because they they they're used to the comfort of the control and the typewriter, and they write it. If they only said to themselves, "You know, I control this too. I control it. You do control. You're you're controlling this podcast right now, not me. You."
0: You know the the, the th- interesting thing, and we, maybe we can set this story up together because it, it reminded me of a story that Al Pacino tells. Uh, that goes back to The Godfather. I know you're good friends with him and you've heard about his arc through that movie yeah. or in the very beginning.
1: They were going to throw him off.
0: Yeah. you You want to tell a little about that? And then I'll take it up to a point where he knew that The Godfather was going to be great. And it speaks to this, what we're talking about.
1: I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. I got so many memories.
0: Okay, well, so Al started, and he w- wasn't like I think the top draft choice of the studio brass. Right, they wanted they, Robert Redford. <laughs> they 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 went along with it, and then in the beginning, he he was having a hard time grasping the part, and then I believe it was at a point where they were thinking of getting rid of him, and he did that famous scene where he goes into the bathroom. To get the gun.
1: Get the gun to kill the cop.
0: That's right. And And he... Throws
1: throws the gun away, which was his idea. And he had the confidence. And they kept him.
0: That's exactly it. And so later on, the movie's proceeding, and they're doing the scene where the Godfather is going to be buried. And everybody works through the scene all day. Six o'clock, everybody's going home. They're all walking away, and Al's about to leave, and he looks over, and he sees Francis Ford Coppola sitting on a gravestone, weeping. And he walks over, and Francis is bawling, and he says, Francis, Francis, what's wrong? Are you okay? And Coppola says to him, they wouldn't give me another setup, meaning the brass wasn't going to pay for him to be able to shoot it again. And Al knew this guy is going to make a movie here because if you care that much and you have that kind of passion. See, now, I didn't know that story. So you
1: are telling me that story. I knew the story of they were going to throw him off until he finished that scene. I know Brando, I talked to Brando a lot about it. I know one of the great scenes in The Godfather was totally ad-libbed by Brando. And that's the scene right before he dies. He's sitting with Michael, his son, Al. And he's an old man now. The grandson is playing. That's where he dies. He falls over playing with the grandson. He's sitting, and the waiter comes by. And this, the scene was, do you want anything else? And they say no. He says, both say no. And he dismisses the waiter, and they keep talking. The waiter comes by for the scene, and the waiter says, "You want anything else?" And Brando, out of nowhere, says, "I'll have some wine." And he looks at Al Pacino and says, "Lately, I drink a lot of wine." Oh man! lifted it, but it's so fit. You know, he's old now. He's not the mafia don he once was. Lately, I
0: drink a lot of wine. And that that the passion that that must come from, whether you're Al seeing Coppola on the graves, the gravestone, or whether you are in, in that moment. And this, these words just come out of you. It it just seems central to what makes people great.
1: You, you hit it a great word moment. And what I've tried to do the whole career, is be in the moment. So I'm always in the moment. That is, if I've interviewed Al Pacino yesterday and uh, Barack Obama tomorrow, but I'm interviewing you today, I'm totally into you today. I'm not thinking about yesterday. And once the show is over, I never think about it. I don't listen to it. I know what I did. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to watch it.
0: Wow, that's what I, that's what I need.
1: Like you won't have to listen to this podcast. You remember it, you know what you did. What are you going to listen for? Unless you want to judge it? I don't yeah. I never have in my life listened to myself. I know once I've done it, because I know I've been in the moment, I trust. See the word is trust. I don't trust myself off the air. And that's weird. I made so many mistakes, been in debt, many marriages. Life didn't always work out for me. Try to be a good father, sometimes was, sometimes wasn't. But on the air, no one ever called me in, in my whole career, to say, what did you say yesterday?
0: Well, there was one great story from back. Oh. That first station in Miami. you got, you got to tell this. This yeah. is my favorite Larry King story.
1: Well, it's a great story. It's a true story. But management never really reamed me out. <laughs> but but what happened was I had just started and radio. I was on the air two months. I'm working 9 to 12. I'm in the afternoons. And I'm loving every second of it. I mean, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to be on. I just, God, I loved it. And the general manager, Marshall Simmons, called me in and said, uh, Al Fox, the all-night guy, is sick tonight. Would you do the all-night show? And I said, sure. He said, well, you'll be here alone, you know, very small station. We don't have an engineer at night. You just record the meet- re- meter readings, play music and talk, and you're on from <laughs> midnight to six. And then you'll hang around, will be on again at nine, and then get some rest. Oh, boy sure I'll, whew, wow. And now I'm alone in the station, I'm playing records, and I'm talking and talking to people and talking about the time and the weather and what's going on in the world' because I'm living every minute of this and the phone rings, and I pick it up and I said w h r and this woman's I could tell you the truth, Cal, I can almost hear it now. This sexy woman voice says. I want you. Now, remember, I'm 22 years old. I think the pimples on my face are from Hershey bars. I am, I'm a Jew in heat. And this girl, no one has ever said to me, I want you. And I suddenly said to myself, there are more than two benefits to being in this business. <laughs> so I said, uh, Whoa whoa, whoa 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 what do you want? She says, uh, come over. Come over to my house. I said, I'm uh, I'm on the air. She said, Well, I I get off at six. I'll be over at six. She said, Well, I only live ten blocks away. And I have to go to work at six. So it's now or never. Here's my address. Try to come over. I got this moral dilemma now. (laughs) My career, (laughs) my radio, but no one has ever said, I want you. So here's what the radio audience heard. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just filling in tonight. So I'm going to give you a particularly good time here. I'm going to play the entire Harry Belafonte at Carnegie Hall album uninterrupted. (laughs) I had 23 minutes which is all the time I needed, and which is still true to this day. So anyway, I put the record on. You know, we didn't have tapes then, which was the actual record. Zoom out to the car, drive to her house. There's the car. She described it in the driveway. I pull into the house. The light is on. Over the door, I go in. There's a little dark room, and there's this woman in a white negligee sitting on a couch. She opens her arms. I grab her. I hold her around my cheeks against her cheek, and she's got the radio on. And I'm hearing Harry Belafonte, and he says, he's singing Jamaica Farewell. And he sings, down the way, where the nights, where the nights, where the nights. The record gets stuck. I place the girl back at the end of the couch, run out to my car, Jewish masochism. I keep the radio on all the way driving to the station. Where the nights, where the nights, where the nights. I get in, all the lights are going, flashing from people calling in. I'm totally embarrassed. I'm picking up, I'm apologizing to people. And the last caller was an older Jewish man. And I just said, "Uh, WHR, good morning. And all I hear was, Veda Nights, (laughs) Veda Nights, Veda Nights. I'm going crazy with Veda Nights. And I said, gee, I'm sorry, why didn't you just change the station? And he said, I'm an invalid. And I'm in bed, and a nurse takes care of me. She leaves at night. She sets it to your station. The radio's up on the bureau. I can't reach it. I'm stuck. I said, gee, can I do anything for you? He says, yeah, play Havana Gila. <laughs> but I, but I, didn't get, I didn't get fired for that. Another thing that I almost got fired, and this was, I don't know if you even know this story, Cal. I had to make a living, so I was making like $60 a week from the radio station. And I was doing a, my first thought on television. I was making a 100 from that. And I was also the announcer at the dog track. Uh, there goes Rusty, Miami Beach dog track. It was right near Joe Stonecraft. I used to walk in, look into Joe Stonecraft's window and say, wonder if I could ever eat there. And anyway. Oh, man. I was doing three jobs. And this was a New Year's Eve. So I taped a television show, did my radio show. And did the dog track. Now the next morning, I'm on. I think it was on that shift. I was on 8 to 12. It was 8 to 11, whatever it was. So I'm dead tired. And it's New Year's morning. No one at the station. And there's a big, it's a new station, WKAT. And there's big window doors leading in where you could look up and see the announcer in the station. And I'm so tired, and I'm just playing music and talking, and oh my God, please. And 9 o'clock, Don McNeil and the Breakfast Club goes on. That's a show from Chicago. It was an hour every day syndicated. Good morning, breakfast lovers, and howdy do ya? At the 9.30 point in that show, Don McNeil would say, we'll be back in 30 seconds. This is the ABC Radio Network. And all I had to do, was turn off his that that mic, turn on my mic, and say, this is WKT, the big cat in Miami Beach, and switch that switch back on, go back to Chicago, and turn mine off. But what I did was he said, this is the ABC Radio Network, and I turned him off, turned my mic on, and fell asleep.
2: Oh
0: man. And now I'm
1: the only one in the station and I'm snoring. <laughs> I just oh,
0: man. Well,
1: anyway, all people at home here is right so they panic. Somebody called the Miami Beach Police Department and the fire department comes. They look in the window and they see a guy slumped against the microphone. Oh, man. And they figure I'm dead. So they take hatchets and break their way in through the window. And as they break all the, the hatches in, I wake up, and you hear the fire, now you're listening on the radio, and the firemen are going, are you okay, sir, what is it? And I go, whoa, 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 what the hell's going on? <laughs> and all of this is on the air. And, and I look up, and it's like t- a quarter to 10, I said, now back to the breakfast club. <laughs> <laughs> With Don McNeil. And the general manager of the station, Frank time called me in.
0: Do you think you were going to get fired?
1: I think all he said was, I know you're glib and I know you're good. We like your work, but uh, give me any reason why I shouldn't fire you. Any reason. If it's within reason, I'll accept it because I like you. But I got to fire you by all rules of radio and ethics. I got to fire you. I got to fire. I said to him, Okay, here's what I was doing. I was attempting to check the reaction of the Miami Beach Fire and Rescue Department. How quickly can they come to an emergency? They get there pretty fast. We could have a good report on this. I do a little special. And he said, you son of a bitch. Get out of here. Get out of here. But I had to pay for the window. He took out $10 a week out of my salary till the window was paid for. Man. But that, but those occurrences, the, and the, with the lady, uh, nothing ever happened because management was asleep. I never got in trouble for something I said. I never cursed on the air. I never said something that would bring me into repute. You know, I just was... I loved the radio. And then now I'm on the Internet. And people curse on the Internet. I've had guests say the F word. I still can't. I can't bring myself to do it because I'm so cognizant the of old the rules. microphone and uh, the old rules.
0: Well, you first thing are we hearing biscuit the dog snoring uh yeah that's fine that's my dog <laughs> i'm just taking larry's advice here on just describing what's going on but biscuit snores you can take him and put him
1: in another room he don't care he just he's eight years old now he's just an old dog that adds to the posse see that here's the right. beauty of the podcast That's right
0: now they know biscuit
1: right For, now in the old days so, you would have been signaling the guy you try to get him to cut it, it cut and it, and cut it. Cut that, cut that, don't, 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 don't watch that, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. What the hell? Biscuit was a dog. scary. If you heard the sound, if you didn't hear it, okay, that's what he cut for. If you did hear it, it's cute.
0: And Tim's got a dog, Molly, who he often has on his podcast and is a always a great audience. One of the things about Tim's audience is they want to know how to be better in all aspects of life. What would you, what would you say? Let's talk a little about curiosity, about speaking, listening, empathy. Uh, You are one of the most curious people I've ever met. Is that something that is ingrained or is it something that Everybody has, but somehow you never lost.
1: Good question, Cal. That's why this uh, this the Fussman Factor <laughs> podcast will be a success. Um, uh, truthfully, I don't. I don't know. I was always curious. I remember as an eight year old, nine year old, I get on a bus and ask the bus driver why you won't drive a bus. My curiosity was endless, so it lent me into a broadcast booth that worked for me, that worked for me. My curiosity worked for me. Uh, I I, I never got good grades in school, except in things with oral projects like English, where I could discuss, ask questions of the teacher. So I, I always had that curiosity and managed to find a workplace that brought it to me. I don't know the answer to that, but I could give you rules. Sure, you know, but, like what which are is uh, listen. Listening is as important as what you're asking. So don't worry about your next question. Now that's risk taking, but don't worry about your next question.
0: You know, often you see when people are in conversation, you can almost look at somebody carefully and see they're thinking about what they're going to say next. I, well, I might
1: now that is natural. I react. You can't tell someone just starting. So someone just starting, if it's if it's comfortable to you to make little notes to yourself so you have a bridge to fall back on, do it. I mean, you want to be good, but eventually get to be where you don't need those notes. Your curiosity works for you. And sometimes the simplest question is the best. Like when we had... Uh, uh, the first, uh, the war in Kuwait, and, uh, when we went into Iraq, oh, we didn't go to Baghdad. That's a we Storm, one. right. We would have generals on every night and reporters. And, and, and I would hear people at other stations, you know, this happened today and this happened. My first question was, what happened today? Okay, now I'm getting their perspective of what happened today. Now, based on their answer, I'll have to have another question. And I would, whatever the answer was. Even if it was, well, today the troops advanced 10 miles into the enemy territory. Right? Okay. That's the answer. Okay. Did that surprise you?
0: Oh, uh, there you go. You
1: know what I mean? Here we go. Go right with it. Why did they do that? Do you trust the information that your superiors give you? There's so many things. Like, I watch interviews today, they're nuts. I mean, people are terrible. Terrible. Especially after sporting events.
0: What's the worst thing you've seen?
1: I see it every day. We have just seen a sporting event. Right. A guy just got his first major league home run to win the game. One stupid question I saw was, this was your first major league game. It was the ninth inning. The count was 2-1, and one, and you hit that home run to right field. And they put the mic in front of them. What's the question? There's no, no question. Right. Or, second dumbest question. You got a home run and you're first at bat. What does it feel like? Now, wait a minute. What if he's going to answer terrible? I didn't want to hit a home run. I wanted a strikeout. <laughs> I would go other areas, like... When you played Little League, what were some of your baseball dreams? And he might say uh, to play in my first game, did you ever visualize hitting a home run first of all? What were you thinking when you were on deck? Were your parents here?
0: And not only these unexpected questions, but they're easily answered. Yes, my parents were here. No, no, then, no, you know, no they weren't.
1: No, but, but, and then, you know, feeling with them, get together, to, can talk to them. In other words, put your, how, it's a lot of how would you be in that situation? Except you don't have to refer to yourself. You don't have to say, I would have done. I don't use the word I. I ask questions because I'm an observer. I'm present at the creation. I'm, I'm I'm I like to be there again. It's the moment. Can this, I like to be in the moment.
0: Can what you do be used by anybody in in their office? I would guess so.
1: I do a course based on the book How to Talk to Anyone Anytime Anywhere. I've had some successful people tell me that the book helped them in their life. It's still in print. I saw it in Norway. Yes, you can, you, if, because in a communicating world, now the big difference today is with modern technology, probably easier today, you could text. So people text today, which, which is sad to me. So you don't need the art of phrasing. You don't need to use your voice well.
0: What, do we lose something? You, you see people with their cell phones in their hands, looking down. Terrible. What do we lose when we no longer have eye contact with people?
1: Intimacy. That's what I want in every show I do. An intimate relationship with the guest. If I can establish that, like Sinatra, I've got a letter here, Sinatra wrote to me after his last television interview. You make the camera disappear intimacy trust if the guest will trust you your home because they know you're sincerely interested in them and therefore you could go anywhere you can go anywhere depend how you phrase the question how you feel but if you can put yourself in their shoes and get their emotion it's a good tip nobody thinks they're bad Nobody. Hitler didn't comb his hair in the morning and say, I am an evil person. I am doing good for my country. I'm a joke. I'm doing good. So, if you're going to interview Hitler, the stupidest first question would be, why did you invade Poland? The best kind of first question is, if I were interviewing Osama bin Laden, the stupidest first question would be, why did you killed 3,000 people on that September day in New York, I would have asked him, you grew up in the richest family in Saudi Arabia, why'd you leave? Now, that gets him to think about what he wasn't, he didn't think about him, so why he left that day. But now you've made him curious about himself. Right. But he also knows I'm sincerely curious about him. I have made no judgment in that question. I don't bring an agenda. What do we want? We want to learn. All we want is information. Would you want to know the whys of Osama bin Laden? Wouldn't that help you understand when you're dealing with the Osama bin Ladens of the future? Why do you want to know? I mean, they But this, this all we want is front infra- I remember once I had this great guy on Swami Satchidananda. Never forgot him from India, and uh, he was so calm about everything. I mean, he was kind of guy. He says I remember he said, "When you wake up in the morning, when you open your eyes, did you deserve that day? Whether you believe in God or whatever, did." Did Larry, did the Swami deserve this day? You woke up, it's a gift. You don't know where it came from. It's a gift, the gift of life, the gift you woke up. So what if it's raining? You've got the gift of the day. So what if the toast is burnt? Make more toast. You got the gift. I said to him, Swami, what? If I told you I'll pick you up tomorrow at 3 o'clock, take you to the airport, and I don't show, what would you do? I would call you and say, Larry, how are you? I know something terrible must have happened because you weren't there. The shoe is on your foot. Then I asked him the world's greatest question. Okay, Swami. (laughs) I was being cute. You come home. Walk up into your bedroom and your wife is in bed with another guy. And he said to me, Well, what would you do? And I said, I would scream and yell. And that's right, and that's what everyone would do scream and yell. And the guy would run out and the woman would be screaming and pandemonium. But what do you want in that situation? Information. Information. That's the best way to get it? Okay, this is very embarrassing. You two. I'm going to go down and make some tea. Why don't the both (laughs) of you come down to breakfast then? Let's talk about this. Who owns that moment? You're in control. Now, that's the hardest thing to do. But basically, that's what I would do on the air. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? My curiosity would be there no matter what the situation. And eventually, I would be asking Osama bin Laden, why did he? send those people out that day in September.
0: You know, the more you're talking, the more I'm seeing the power of control in questions. It's all control. For most of my
1: life in this great business, I have controlled my environment when working. And for a lot of time, when I did my national radio show, I did the first national network show, I was on from midnight to 5. I was on CNN from 9 to 10. I wrote a weekly column in USA Today. When I was writing the column, when I was on the radio for five hours, and when I was on television for the
0: hour, I controlled all of that. So people could actually use what you were doing to gain a better control over their own lives, even if it's Hopefully. not in broadcasting, yeah. just to use of the question, like the yeah. Swami said.
1: Yeah. You could use it in, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't do as well in the personal life. You know, no, everyone has their, you know, a lot of comedians are very unhappy people. Right. Uh, and they see things funny for an escape from their own reality. So I I do very well in this circumstance, sitting here talking to you. But I couldn't hang a picture well. I, the nail, I'd hit my thumb. I would, uh, I'm not, I'm not a great, I'm, I try to be a good driver, I'm not a great driver. You know what I mean? In other words, no one's perfect. Right. But in areas where you can, especially in the work environment, where you can control something, Yeah, I could teach you how to
0: do it. What about empathy? Because that seems to be a quality that you have. You can listen to anybody, and you're making them feel.
1: I'm not judgmental. Right. That I learned from broadcasting. What am I going to judge? I'm there to learn. Let the audience, see, the audience makes up its own mind. I'm a conduit from me to you. I learn, and through me, you learn. But I don't make a judgment call. In other words, I'm not the kind of broadcaster who argues with the guest. It's just not my style. I am passionate politically off the air. I have my, but I felt at best as a broadcaster that my role was as a journalist, was to give you more. When you sat at the end of an hour, you knew more than you did the hour before. When there's arguing, you don't learn I don't like broadcasts where the guy just uh, stands on a soapbox and talks for an hour. Well, there doesn't
0: seem to be any empathy on TV I-
1: anymore. No, that's, that's gone. The day of the long-form interview is kind of gone. It's sad.
0: Actually, it seems like the podcast is one way of trying to... That's the to last that-
1: venue of the long-form interview. This could not occur on television today. What you're doing right now could not occur. For a radio station, would be rare. Because today, people want to eat it up, speed it up, get it out, get it up. It's a spit it out business. Get it up, get it out. Can't get enough? Get good. get right through it. Today, the rules are, you do an interview show today, the guests should be on in tops 10 minutes. You don't want a half-hour interview today. They're going to tune out because they've got 500 channels. You know what I mean? And... You can't, and I think technology has added.
0: What, what are we losing? Knowledge. <laughs> so so we're, we're not getting the information. And like when you look at everything that's going on politically, it, it seems like we're not getting any depth anymore.
1: That's why this, this New York Times that I have right here is my Bible. I learn more from it every day than I get from all of cable television. And they've got cameras, and the New York Times doesn't. But they can write an in-depth article that continues on page 46. And I get more out of it. The sad thing is that newspapers have gone away. Yeah. That's all part of, you know, technology brings improvements, and they bring bad things, too. When I spoke in Norway a couple of weeks ago, and someone was asking me about technology, Here's the best and the worst thing about it. We know that somewhere in the world today, a guy is working on a cure for cancer. A brilliant scientist. Another guy is writing a great play. And another guy is inventing a new kind of airplane that will exceed the speed of sound. And another guy is planning how to build a nuclear weapon that you can hide in your hands and get on a plane. He's doing that too. So the guy who's curing cancer, he's going to succeed. But the guy with the little bomb is going to succeed too. So this is what you face as we advance as a culture. We advance, right? Remember the small grocer got overtaken. I like the small grocer. I like the guy who took the little pencil and added it up on the paper bag and took the clipper and got the toilet paper down from the top of the rack.
0: You know what? That's the, gone. The interesting thing to me, though, is that it seems like questions are becoming more important now because in this age of technology, you can like Google any answer a six year old can Google any answer to any question in, in four seconds. But the right question? Mm-mm, no. Mm-hmm. That six year old may not be able to come up with it. Ask
1: more. Find, go through a day and see how many people ask questions rather than say things. My motto, my broadcast motto all my life was I never learned anything when I was talking.
0: And that's interesting because you see TV and the idea is just to talk over somebody to get your point. At
1: times you have to present. If I'm speaking, if you speak uh, as you do and I'm making comedy in front of a group, of course, I'm not learning anything. Right, right. But I'm entertaining. That's different. You can entertain. If I'm telling a joke, I know the end of the joke. So I'm not learning anything, but I'm providing entertainment. If I'm making a speech, I'm not learning anything, but I'm providing knowledge but if i'm a questioner i never learned anything when i was talking if i'm asking a question of you it better be a question not a statement not a history lesson ask the question there's so many people i want to yell sometime is what's the question
0: <laughs> i i i hear what you're saying is is there like advice that you would give young people to better ask questions? Like, I'll sit down before an interview and I'll write out maybe 200 questions I want to ask. That's what works for you. Do what works for you.
1: Never do what doesn't work for you. So if Larry King says don't write out questions in advance, that would be stupid for me to say. I don't do it. I can't tell you what to do. Whatever is your comfort zone,
0: but is there, is there something about just the foundation of, I, get, I give these speeches, change your questions, change your life, to look at questions a different way, to look at the power in them, step aside from where you are, look at yourself, and see how a different question could change your position. Is this, is this something that, you have done or you're just constantly in the moment.
1: I, 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 I've never, I never sat down and figured it out. I'm just in the moment. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I I don't I didn't do self-analysis. I'm in the moment. I just but I know that listening is as important as asking. Listening is as, as, as important as what you ask, because follow-up is, you have to be in the moment.
0: Is there advice? Is there ways for people to improve their listening?
1: I guess, uh, well, in this modern age of technology where you have instant information and where you can text people, listen is a weird word. Listen. Think about the word listen. What What are you listening to today? You're reading stuff off your little iPhone.
0: And often people have their ears plugged to take in what they want to hear. Yeah. So they're pushing away that outside. I'll point.
1: tell you often people how people don't listen. We could test. I did this with Jim Bishop one day in Miami. He did a collar on this. When you see someone that you know or pass on the street, how you doing? Right. Say I've got brain cancer. How's the wife? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) If they don't listen. Yeah. How you doing? They don't want to know how you're doing. Don't stop it. How am I doing? I'll tell you how I'm doing. The bank called me today. The second mortgage payment. You want to know how I'm doing? Sit down. I'll tell you how I'm
0: doing. (laughs) Is is there a way to break through that sort of cocktail party banter that means nothing? Now,
1: this I don't know the answer to. I have always had people respond to me. I don't it's worked with women.
0: So you just get genuine, sincere responses. Yeah.
1: And as George Burns said, if you can fake that, you gotta babe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I have always known in interview situations, I've always known that I can get people to respond to me. I don't know so I could use humor. I can use but They know that I really want to know what they're thinking, and why they did what they did, and people appreciate that. I don't know anybody that doesn't like to talk about what they do, except Brando, who didn't like to talk about acting.
0: But but that can be useful to anybody in any situation in the office. Of course. Just by... Looking into somebody and being and being sincere and zeroing in.
1: Right. There's two questions you're asking the same question. Why'd you do that, or why'd you do that? You're going to get a better answer with the second. Right.
0: Effort. I was doing some reading, and they say that when you take in a question, ten percent is only the words, thirty percent is the tone of voice. What you just oh, illustrated That is
1: very important, which you don't get with your iPhone.
0: And 60% is the body language behind you don't that question. with your iPhone. Yeah. And so I guess this is something people can work on if they, if they want to, to learn how to better communicate. Yeah. Well, we're trying all the
1: time how to talk to anyone at any time, anywhere, how to be better. We all want to do better. You're always, you're always learning. And you always accept the fact that you're still learning.
0: Well, if you're in sales, you got to connect with people. If you're a leader of a company, you got to connect with people. And basically, they're, they can use the same skills that you're using. Of course.
1: Anyone could use them. Presidents of countries can use them.
0: I got some questions from Tim uh, that he sent over.
1: Okay, this is the Ferris wheel question. This, this is the Ferris wheel question. We've been going a long time here, Cal.
0: All right. You're, you're Didn't ex- feel that way to me. Well,
1: we've been over an hour. I don't want to okay. break it to you, Cal, but you're starting to get annoying. And as, you, know, you know, I want to tell you, listeners, this is going to be a great podcast, but that there, there does hit a point with the Fussman factor where he gets annoying. And we're very close <laughs> to that point now. Yes. What questions do the Ferris this wheel This is from
0: want? Tim. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere, what would it say and Why?
1: A gigantic billboard anywhere. Oh, let me think. Good question, Tim. Slow down.
2: <laughs>
1: Excavation point. Or uh ban all guns.
0: Ooh, there you go. I was thinking the John Wooden line when you said slow down, he said, Be quick, but don't hurry. That's pretty good a aphorism. Good. What is the book, Tim asks, you've been given most as a gift and why?
1: I guess through life is Catcher in the Rye. I love that book. Um, I read it at uh, four different times in my life, teenager, later.
0: Does it change?
1: Yeah, get different meaning from it. I get different reactions. For example, my son Chance, who's 18, hated Holden Caulfield. Thought he was a pompous, Pompous, spoiled brat. I never saw him that way. Didn't find him funny. That's interesting the way kids, that perspective. and That's good writing. If you can react hostily to him.
0: Yeah, and then 50 years from now, he may have a very different look at it.
1: Like, for example, you read Dickens, I like Scrooge. He wasn't a bad guy, Scrooge. (laughs) Look at it this way. Crash it. He's a big complainer. He's a whiner. Come home. We've got a son, Tiny Tim. Take care of him. Stop with the crap. <laughs> Do your work.
0: Look at this dog. Basket. can you name one to three books that have massively impacted your life?
1: Well, Catcher in the Rye would be one. Uh, a Quiet Hero, Life of Luke Gehrig. And then most of the books I'm, I'm currently reading. reading Richard Nixon's biography. It's terrific. By John Farrell. I'm into what in the moment of what I'm doing now. Okay,
0: you know, you read like six books at once. I, I, I read on I, the What I
1: try to do is a novel and a true a nonfiction. and I can read those two at once. but I got three going now.
0: What's the third?:
1: I got the Richard Nixon book, and I got Alec Baldwin's memoir. And uh,
0: oh, you were reading the um uh,
1: I finished Al Franken's book, uh, fantastic, right? Funny, on the mark, funny. And then I'm reading Shattered the campaign of Hillary Clinton.
0: Pretty good title. In the last five years, what new belief or behavior has most improved your life? You have new beliefs in the last five years?
1: No, but the more I exist, the less I believe in. Uh, something out there. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in, I don't believe in um, life after death. And Most people get older and they find some belief. I get older and find less. I have no, this is it.
0: You're just in the moment.
1: thing I fear the most is, uh, is uh, death. Because I can't imagine not existing. That, Drives me bonkers.
0: We we're talking about this the other at breakfast, that we're all energy. So yeah, I don't know what you mean by that. We're all energy. We're all that's what we are. We're energy. And so you're still gonna be floating around somehow. Oh, wait, oh, come. <laughs> I'm floating around. Do I know where I am? I'm well, you know, you're you not know, gonna you know, know it. That. You don't know. Yeah, that. well, I don't I can't make any guarantees on that. But I have a feeling that you never go away. And certainly you will be around for all of us who remember you. What about memories?
1: Yeah, memory. You'll have tapes of me. I can exist. But I'm not there. You understand? <laughs> okay. Fuss one, <laughs> I don't it. exist. And that bugs me. they not exist. For example, who's going to be the next president? Who's going to win a penalty? Who's, who's, see, the, the Y person fears death.
0: Because they're not going to know the because answers. It's the
1: one thing, you know, like my, I married into a family. They all believe the Mormons. They believe. Going, I'm going somewhere else, and I say to them, "You got not. You can't lose. You're in a win-win. If you die and you go somewhere else, you were right. If you don't, you don't know it. They can't lose. It's good strategy. Well, my strategy it don't work for me because yeah. I can't accept the fact. There's no heaven.
0: You need a new strategy. There's no
1: other plane. I'm not going to some planet.
0: Stay here. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or recent memory? Where did he come up with that question?
1: $100 or less. Tim, I don't
0: know. Where did you come up with that question?
1: That's a Ferris wheel. That's the kind (laughs) of thing if you're stuck on a Ferris wheel, you think of things like that. Ferris. If I'm stuck at the top of a, a Ferris wheel, first, I'm panicked. I'm Jewish. It's never going to start again, and I'm stuck on a Ferris wheel. So you less, so, than less than 100 Less than $100. did I spend less than $100 on? That what? That did what?
0: It had a positive impact on your life.
1: As a child, it was a yo-yo. Because I never could master the yo-yo. it drove drive me crazy. And the fact that I couldn't master it drove me crazy. So I don't know why I just thought of that.
0: Well, it would probably been like a Dodger ticket when you were a
1: kid. Yeah, but I, yeah. Now they're just, more than a hundred bucks. When I was a kid, one of the biggest thrills of my life was a ticket to Ebbetsville. I'd go down to Montague Street and buy reserve seats when you could afford them, $1. seventy-five. Oh, and to hold those tickets and look at them. Now they don't know it's a piece of paper. You hand it in, a, you put it in your phone. Yeah. I don't do that. When I go to the airport, I want a boarding pass, and I'd like it to be thick, not paper. (laughs) I don't trust going to the airport without a boarding pass. You can't get them. You can get a piece of paper. I'm very pissed. You got me very angry, Fussman.
0: First annoyed, now angry. Okay, how about, uh, what advice would you give to a college senior about to enter the real world? And what advice would you give a smart, aggressive 30-year-old? You know, to
1: a college senior, if you have a goal, don't give up. If you want to do something in life and someone can tell you you can't do it, and if you believe that, then you can't do it. If you think you can do it, you can do it.
0: That's great. That's actually great advice.
1: If you think, and if you think you can't do it, you can't do it. Yeah. And if you can do it, but you think you can't, you can't. You're cooked. you got to think you can do it.
0: What about a uh, 30 year old? 30
1: year old is almost the same thing. 30 year old, you're at that bridge. That's why I love athletes. Athletes' lives, careers, end when most of ours begin. So they face winning and losing. They face a final score. They face cheering that stops. We don't have that. No one else in life has that. Most of our careers kick off around 35, 40. And that's when they're done. And also they're getting paid for something that they did when they were seven years old and did it for more hours.
0: Uh, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? you have a favorite failure?
1: Well, you learn from, you learn from loss. You, you learn a lot more from losing than from winning.
0: Well, uh, probably the two stories you told about you make a farewell and then falling you know, asleep. I've had other
1: failures too. Failure in marriage. Wasn't good at it. That's because my job came first. See, again, my love for my broadcasting has hindered me in other areas. You know, because uh, I'm driven by that. CNN and Mutual Radio were the number one things in my life. Number one. Children were were better, but... I was I was a better worker than a father. I'm a better father now. Old age has see, but the, the weird thing about old age, Fussman, for the Fussman factor, is <laughs> I'm 83, but I'm 17. In other words, I know I'm 83 from the pains and the, and the little tribulations of life, but I'm 17. Uh, for example, I you know what keeps me going. I wonder what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) Uh, I like being called promising. In other words, when I get a call like, you've just been awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Emmys, which I got six years ago. Lifetime Achievement.
0: That probably can make you
1: mad. Wonderful thrill, but at the same time, is that it? What do you mean? You mean it's Over? Over? You know, and I look at my trophy room, and I have a trophy room right next door to this room. It's got all the accolades over the years and the awards. I go in there; it's my ego room. But I sit in there and I say to myself, "Who the hell did this? <laughs> Who the hell?" I look around at pictures and people at me with people. Who the hell? How the hell? How the hell did I do this? You know, and. It's just, uh, um, you know, Bertrand Russell, the great philosopher, Nobel Prize winner, mathematician, was 95 years old. And they had a dinner party. And Someone said, Dr. Russell, you're 95. Great mathematician, great writer, Nobel Prize. What do you know? What do you know? And he said, the only thing I know is that I don't know. And if I had to sum up everything about human nature, about war, about life, about love, about the meaning of things, I don't know. I've had a lifetime of discovery. I've learned a lot of things. But on the basic things of life, I don't know. I don't know about women. I don't know about... Someone looking after me. I don't know about things up there. I don't know. I guess I'm an agnostic, but I just can't make that leap. I can't make the leap of faith. It's too big a leap. And when people have it, there's a sense of envy. But at the same time, I I don't mean to put them down, but a sense that they need a crutch.
0: I don't have a crutch. Got a few more questions here from Tim. What are bad recommendations you hear? in your area of expertise?
1: I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I've never heard people give bad recommendations. I mean, like... Yeah, uh, a you know, bad recommendation would be... Uh, uh, you don't need college. I think today you do. In my day, you didn't. Now you do. world is too competitive.
0: What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love?
1: Unusual habit? I have a, a habit of um, little the thought habits. Um, I tr- tr- try to uh, total up words in a in a in a phrase or a sentence, and then divide it to see if I get an even number, like uh, true love divided by two is four there's four words in each thing true love is white four and four, four
0: oh the letters i yeah, i see right. what so you're i don't saying. want
1: okay. an odd number i want an even number but and i do that a lot in my head
0: you're doing it while you're asking questions
1: so or? no 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 i try not to get distracted
0: okay yeah that'd be like having a calculator going yeah,
1: on yeah, no no no
0: but that's okay that is unusual
1: yeah well everyone has little unusual thing. For example, my pills, I take a lot of prescription pills and a lot of vitamins and have to be in order in the closet. And when I lay them out for the next day, I have to take them out in the same order. That's a rule.
0: Well, that's control and organization. A lot of what we're talking about is about control. I'm I'm,
1: I'm very organized. Yeah. And I hate, and I hate is a bad word, disorganized people annoy me. Like people who, I told my wife this morning, we're having dinner at Wolfgang's tonight. You want to come over? Come over. Greg has come. I don't know who's coming. But we're having dinner at Wolfgang's tonight. Two hours later, I said to her, uh, We're we'll going at 7.30. Where are we going? Wolfgang. She said, I don't listen to details like that. You what? Oh,
0: you're, she you're is, in she the doesn't moment. know. You're in the moment.
1: She's not in any moment. Like, she doesn't know. If she's got a plane tomorrow. She has no idea what time the plane's going.
0: Well, I think there is a, there's a lot of people like that.
1: I know what, what time, time my plane's what, going a week from Friday. Right, I got it.
0: In, in the last five years, this is a good question, Tim. Have you become better at saying no to distractions, invitations, etc.? No! <laughs> no, he is not. Larry I, cannot say no. The
1: hardest word in the English language is no, and that's where people with text can get away with it. Because it's easy to type no. Be easy to type no. Um, why, I, can't, why can't you say no? I guess it's... Uh, I don't like rejection, and I therefore don't like to reject others. I know it's stupid because eventually, like, you cancel something. Because you don't want to disappoint them initially.
0: So five people can ask you to go so out I'm, to dinner I'm, I'm on Wednesday night. Too
1: much in the moment. So I have to give a satisfactory answer to each and could drive you crazy. And then Wednesday
0: Works night comes. Works on the comes. air.
1: Doesn't work off the air. Wow. A lot of things that work professionally...
0: Don't work off the
1: air. Don't work off
0: the air. All right. What is the best or most worthwhile investment you've made? Could be in money, time, energy. No, in my career.
1: that's yeah, That paid off the most. Uh, <clears throat> the time I invested, the <clears throat> the jobs I took, working radio, working the dog track, all those little things. Um,
0: I'm really getting also a sense of discipline, like I'm,
1: yeah, in work ethic, right? Not in life ethic. Uh, never handle money well. Still don't. I don't handle my own money. I keep a, a kind of a small checking account, but I have accountants in Boston that do everything. I've never seen a CNN check. Never seen it. Don't know what it looks like. Don't know what aura TV checks look like. <laughs> I don't. I keep a checking account, right? But I don't know what paychecks look like. When I get speeches, they go right to the speaker's bureau, and they send it to Boston. I don't know what those check. I know. Be nice to see what a check looks like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last question. Finally, from- with the
1: Fussman factor, <laughs> we'll do an hour. Well, Fussman, we're at an hour and thirty-five minutes. Fussman. Okay. Well. This is the world's longest podcast.
0: <laughs> longest first podcast. You're doing very well, Fussman. Well, thank you. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, or you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Maybe this goes back to the Swami. Just look for information. And maybe you have a. Well, I get lost in sports.
1: I'm uh, like uh, as we're doing this, I'm watching a baseball game, and I can do this, and I know. What's happening? So sports is a great thrill to me. I feel sorry for people who aren't sports fans. You know why? When I get up in the morning, I have no idea who's going to win the games that day. None. So I have wonderment every day who's going to win.
0: What's going to happen? So you're talking and you're looking at the screen yeah. and your curiosity is at play wondering, okay, what's happening?
1: Well, I Kansas can't City see what Royals that guy' is player is saying, but I know the Royals have come here with the hottest team. The Dodgers are the hottest team in baseball by far. And the Dodgers just keep winning to my amazement. They just keep winning. So I'm amazed. And I love that. I'm amazed at it. I'm involved yeah. in it. And I, I, I by the way, I still remain emotionally involved in the teams I like, and so I get a lot of uh, rewards out of uh, being a fan of uh, of the game of games.
0: You're still in the moment now. This is a bucket list. Request.
1: I okay, got no bucket list. I'll tell you my bucket, my bucket list.
0: What's going to be my bucket list? But go ahead. You tell me your bucket list.
1: Every Fussman factor goes back to Fussman. <laughs> By the way, you're listening to the longest podcast ever. It's Fussman out to break world's records at all times. Fussman, Fussman's trying to write War and Punishment. Oh, war, war. What was the longest book ever written? War and Peace. War and Peaceful. Get Get Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment. What well, do you yeah, got? Combine two books in yeah, the world. That, that, because, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I would like to do uh, a Broadway show, a Larry King on Broadway as himself. Well, yeah, it's like, like Larry King tonight. And you come and I tell my stories and take questions from the audience and an eight o'clock curtain with the theater bill. It's the one thing, I, I've i done stand-up comedy, I do a comedy tour and everything, but to be on a Broadway stage as a theater group, I, that's something I would like to do. That's a bucket list. I'm not big on travel. I don't have to see the Great Wall of China. I've seen pictures. Like, we have a home in Utah. I don't like Utah. It's boring to me. They're beautiful mountains. Okay, I saw the mountain. I want to see it again tomorrow. So that kind of wonderment, I don't have. I wonder about people, but I don't wonder a lot about places. See if I've seen the pictures of Berlin. I don't have to walk down the street in Berlin, but you, fuss me.
0: I got to walk down the street.
1: You are Berlin. the wonderlust. That's guy.
0: right. That's right. It's very interesting because you have given me a lot of bucket list stuff. Really? Yes, because. That I
1: could enhance
0: your life is a great moment to me, Fussman. Because of you, What? I now speak. Do you remember how I was when I first came to the breakfast table to help you?
1: Shy, Fussman.
0: Hardly ever spoke.
1: Fussman did not speak. And now, now, I want to warn you of something. Do not become a bore. (laughs) Sometimes, Fussman, you can overdo it. Don't overdo it. You're not a boarfussing, you're a great
0: man. I haven't overdone it yet, but it's the reason that I'm now on stage speaking to companies is because of you. Because I was sitting at the breakfast table every day, listening to you speak. Then we go to your show at night. You'd put me off on the side of the camera, nobody would see me. But I'm taking it all in. Then well, I go doing
1: very well. I have to say I've watched you. You're a great speaker. I'm very proud that I played a part in it, and I know that if I die, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be the one that doesn't. Why not? There has to be a first in everything, but if I die, that I will carry on through you, that you will keep my name going, and your children and my children, so I
0: will exist in some form. As long as I'm here, that's for sure. So let's do the last bucket list. And this that is, is? This is my bucket list. There was a time when you were a kid and you were listening to Baseball Announcer, and then he moved on to Florida, you moved on to Florida, and then you were both working same together. Same station, right? Red Bob, Red Barber. And at the end of his report, he said, over to you, Larry
1: that was one of the great thrills of my life still remains a thrill. Here's a guy I listened to from age seven, eight on up. The guy who taught Vince Scully how to announce the best baseball broadcast i ever heard. He had a Southern accent came from Tallahassee, Florida. And I could always hear his voice in my head as people who grew up in Los Angeles have Scully's voice in their head. So when he, I was sitting there and I did my interview portion, and he would do the sports news. And he said, That's the latest in sports. Larry? And when he said, Larry, my God, the thing went through my head. Here's this little Jewish kid from Brooklyn with his 48 pound transistor radio walking around on this Emerson radio to Coney Island, listening to Red Barber, describe a scene, and to make that picture come alive, Red gave me the game. When I walked into my first game at Eversfield, shortly after my father died, my uncle took me, Arlene's father, Bernie, took me to the Dodger game. And I walked onto that field, and I saw the grass and the dirt and the white lines. But I knew that field. Because Red gave me that field.
0: And, and, and so then... To,
1: to you, work with him and interview him and talk about Jackie Robinson coming into the league and what he meant to Red. and
0: Go, so give uh, me the bucket list it's already. It's the bucket list. Over to you, Larry. Now, if you will say, over to you, Cal.
1: Oh, Oh, you want to hear that?
0: I want to hear. Over to you, Cal. Over to you, Cal.
1: Cal, take it. Cal, go ahead. It's your turn, Cal. Take the ball and run with it.
0: Over to you, Tim. Over to
1: you, Ferris wheel. (laughs) Voila. Hey, Tim, there's another guy coming that's going to have his own podcast. Sol roller coaster. Oh no, no. I think that's funny.
2: it. This episode is brought to you by Kettle and Fire, which makes some of the best bone broth and certainly the most convenient that I've ever found. And I have a, a big stack of them on my kitchen counter right now. I have one container every morning. And this first came highly recommended to me by past podcast guests, such as Amelia Boone, who's a four-time world champion in World's Tough Smutter, Spartan Race, etc., and Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, the incredible hulk of scientific research. You should check him out, too. But there are a few things that make Kettle and Fire special. Number one, they are the first shelf stable, in other words, never frozen bone broth that uses bones from 100% grass-fed, organically raised animals. So you are what you eat, ate, if that makes sense. So it's very important that you understand if you're consuming animal protein, what they consume. They also use longer cook times, 20 plus hours, which means more collagen and other nutrients. For instance, they contain 19 times more collagen than one of their close competitors. And an independent lab confirmed this. I'll leave the competitor's name out of it because I don't want to get sued, but that's the case. And it is not frozen. So thanks to many millions of dollars of packaging equipment, Their bone broth doesn't require freezing or shipping with dry ice. So like I said, it's just sitting on my kitchen counter in these boxes and then I can heat them up. They're basically ready to drink. Heat them up on stovetop or in a microwave and you are ready to rock and roll. And you also get a nice payload of glucosamine glycine Uh, along with the gelatin and everything else that I mentioned. So check it out. I have been hugely pleased with this. And like I said, I've been consuming it every morning. It gives you about, I want to say 20 grams of protein, which is a nice little slow carb diet boost, if that's what you're looking for. And I'll typically sip this out of a very large camping coffee mug as I do some writing or journaling. So there you have it. Check it out. It's delicious. I favor the chicken, but uh each to his own or her own. So check it out, kettleandfire.com forward slash Tim and you can receive twenty percent off of your entire order. Take a look, kettleandfire.com forward slash Tim. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. I have known and loved Shopify just about forever. Back in 2009, when they had something like eight or 10 employees, now they have more than 2,000, I helped them as an advisor to create the Build a Business competition, which is now the world's largest entrepreneurship competition. And many readers of my blog, first-time business owners, have ended up making millions and millions of dollars each, many of them as side gigs to their full-time jobs. So the goal of the Build a Business competition is to get would-be entrepreneurs to get off the couch and make things happen. All you have to do is open a store on Shopify and start selling. And you can join in July or after July to be eligible to win. What does winning mean? You have to be one of the top performers, top sellers in a given category. And the prize, the reward, is an exclusive opportunity to learn from mentors and experts. And in the past, that has happened at places like the Gatsby Castle, where we had Tony Robbins and Damon John and Seth Godin and so on, or on Necker Island, which is Sir Richard Branson's private island. It's nuts and super, super fun. I'm also involved. So there's a special offer for people listening to the show. Go to Shopify.com forward slash Tim and sign up for a free 30-day trial. You will get all sorts of exclusive free video courses to help you along and to get started including how to start a profitable dropshipping business with Corey Ferreira. You will also get some goodies from me. That's all free. It's all exclusive to people who are listening to this podcast. So check it out. Shopify.com forward slash him. And remember to sign up for the free 30 day trial.